Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Welcome to episode 198 of the Independent Advisors Podcast, where Mark McEvely and I, Matt Jessup, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of the financial markets and financial planning. This week, uh, Mark is traveling, and in his spot is the one and only Nick Whitaker. He's our Director of Research and Trading. Welcome, Nick. Always good to be here. And uh, big news uh, for my Knicks last night. You want to tell uh, all of our listeners what happened? Oh, yeah. The New York Knicks closed it out against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Four to one. Away game. Away game at Cleveland. Big uh, statement. Big statement. First time they've advanced to the second round of the playoffs in like a decade or Failure something. A decade. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's a long time. So. Now, I went to bed right after that, and we play the winner of the uh, Milwaukee-Miami Okay, is that who you play next? Yeah. All right, so it'll be and Miami. And when I went to bed, Miami was up in the series 3-1. Yeah, it'll, now they closed it out. Miami won in overtime. They did? They did. I'm <laughs> concerned about Jimmy Butler. Yeah, Jimmy Butler's playing good. He scored 40 points again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So. Now we got to shut him down. Exciting stuff, exciting stuff. All right, well, so, you want to dig in for us, Nick? Yes, as always, we start with a little bit of pricing in the markets. So this data is coming from Y charts as of the market close on 426 yesterday. The S&P 500 is down 1.3% month to date and up 5.6% year to date. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 0.1% month to date and up 0.5% year to date. The NASDAQ Composite Index is down 3 0.0% month-to-date and up 13.3% year-to-date. The iShares Russell 2000 ETF, think small caps, is down 3.9% month-to-date and down 1.7% year-to-date. The FTSE, excuse me, the Vanguard FTSE All World XUS ETF is up 0.5% month-to-date and up 7.1% year-to-date. And checking in on the yields, three-month Treasury rate is at 5.16, the two-year Treasury rate is at 3.9, and the 10-year Treasury rate is at 3.43%. Lots seeing of the, Seeing the farther into that curve come in, let's yeah. say about a week ago, that 10-year was a little bit over 3.5. Mm-hmm. Lots of movement in the curve, uh, the long end's coming in, and, and just a lot of fluctuation in the short end of the curve over the past couple of weeks, which we'll get into that a little bit. Okay. Um, with our with our research, but jumping jumping right into the big headlines and current events, we've got more than we usually have for you guys because it's been a busy couple of weeks and middle of earnings season. So we are in the heat of corporate earnings season. Um, I will make one point on that, and that the the majority of earnings it's been more positive than the street has expected. We're we're going to get into some of those details later, but. Um, do you have anything to add there? No. <laughs> okay. Um, the other big piece of news that I'm sure a lot of people have seen on on their whatever news sites they they follow is is news about First Republic falling 40 percent um, on Tuesday or 49 percent on Tuesday. You can read all about it, but and we'll give you the the long and short of it right right now, which is that they had a really rough earnings call and a really rough earnings release. The biggest part for me was the sentiment around the earnings call. Yep. The call lasted 
about 13, 12, 13 minutes. When's the last time you've seen an earnings call last 13 minutes? I've never seen an earnings call last that long, <laughs> except in a company maybe that's going, that you know is, is going bankrupt. So it's... <laughs> I don't it's, mean to laugh, <laughs> but it's just like almost unheard of. Yeah. Exactly. And so and like just listeners seeing you laugh about that, that shows you just <laughs> how drastic that is. They, they came on, they're basically like, give a quick blueprint of the plan run away in the shadows again and they didn't allow questions for earnings oh that's a disaster they, right they, there they they didn't take questions and and here's kind of the, the final straw is they withdrew all guidance oh. so i mean listeners if you're looking on youtube you can see matt's reaction and that is that's the reaction of everyone on the street it's <laughs> basically whenever a company does something like that and especially all three at the same time you're going to get a very drastic reaction in the market because it's a it's a total close off of transparency it doesn't give anyone confidence the sell side so the sell side are the researchers who write reports on on stocks and we've talked about that, that in the past but the sell side is obviously pretty upset because they like to ask questions at the end of the call for their model so that they can absolutely write, write research reports and upgrades, check on the first 24, 25 days exactly. of the, of the quarter. Yep. And so because the sell side couldn't ask questions, a number of them suspended coverage as I think they should. And then another, uh, a, a handful of them also went ahead and just downgraded them to sell. So. Um, they, they also came out a little later that day and there was news about the company, about First Republic divesting 50 billion to 100 billion of long dated mortgage, mortgages and securities, just in a bid to further strengthen their balance sheet. Not surprising, um, given some of the givens, but it's just, just the news cycle of all of that. Given everything that's going on, you would think they would really stick in and have it just a terrible call and just take the questions. Oh yeah, but a, a two hour call, yeah. three hour call. Hey, yeah. next question. Right, yeah. um, but they didn't. So that's, that's the, in my opinion, that's mm. one of the big catalysts for why you're seeing that in the news. It's, it's a lot of those uh, intangible sentiment feels. Um, at, and for people who don't know, um, the average earning call it floats around about an hour. Mm -hmm. yep. That's pretty normal, but they can go much longer. Sure. Um, a lot of the street doesn't like it when they go longer because we've got to be on a lot of earnings calls. So. Sure. But, but the standard is an hour. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, my last comment on this topic is it's almost like we're starting to slowly rehash the banking crisis we had in March. Right. Right. Exactly. And yeah. so people are now reevaluating other names that, okay, well, if First Republic's having these types of problems, who else might be having these problems still? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it puts a lot of stress still on regional banking, um, yeah. and which is, which is uh, kind of bleeding into the, to some of the small cap. Yeah, and we got to remember that financials make up over 20% of the small cap index, like the Russell mm -hmm. 2000. I want to say it's like 22% yeah. is financials. And so yeah. that, that's definitely something that weigh, weighs on that on that index. Yeah. And so going back to our numbers from, from the beginning of the podcast, that, that, um, ETF that you just mentioned, the Russell 2000 is down 1.7% year to date. Yeah. That's relative to market, uh, averages. And, uh, I guess you could call it an average of like eight, maybe. Yeah. Seven. Interesting. Um, and the, the last little bit I have on, on the news front is some economic news. Orders for durable goods came in on Wednesday, uh, yesterday. Uh, orders were up a robust 3.2% month over month. Most of that was powered by a, a, a noticeably large increase in new orders for non-defense aircraft and parts. 
um, excluding transportation, durable goods only rose 0.3%. Uh, the key takeaway here being um, that non-defense capital goods orders, excluding aircrafts, uh, which is a proxy for business spending, mm -hmm. uh, declined 0.4% in March. So, you know, the headline number is going to read a little different than when you kind of peel, peel back the layer. Um, so kind of that middling, not amazing economic news, probably what we want, to be honest. Yeah, um, no, I'll take that. Definitely health, take that. Pretty healthy, but not deteriorating coming down a little bit. Um, I could probably answer why the uh, non-defense aircraft and, uh, and parts were up so much is, you know, these birds were flying so hard uh, right after the pandemic as everyone wanted to travel. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, kind of like, you know, you have a car that has a, um, you drive it so often you have to get an oil change. They have to do overhaul on these planes. And I think it's just, they're at their, their point where, okay, you know, seasonality, yeah. They got to start doing some maintenance on these planes. Yeah, I was about to say it's March. They need to make yep. sure they're ready for the summer travel. Yep. So, yep. Um, U.S. GDP growth rate came out this morning at 1.1 percent. The consensus was two. That helps right. the Fed. That yep. That that helps. Uh, when you say helps the Fed, can you explain that to us? So it helps the Fed not to have pressure to continue to uh, raise interest rates. Yeah. Because right now, before this release, uh, tongue in cheek, the market was given about. Vegas odds of about 70, 75 percent that they're going to have one last rate cut of a quarter of a percent on the May 3rd meeting. Yeah. And when these when this economic data comes in light, it says that the medicine, these rising interest rates that Fed has been doing is working and they might not have to continue to pump medicine, i.e. an interest rate hike mm -hmm. at the May 3rd meeting. Yeah. And if I were a guessing man, I'd say those stats, those Vegas odds might come down to like 50 or 60 percent after a print like that. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. There'll be a lot of movement in that tomorrow morning. That's the last piece I have. It's just an FYI for listeners that the PCE price index, that's the Fed, the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation. Personal consumption expenditures. Yes. Um, that so think inflation similar to CPI, but it's just a different uh, metric. And the, the Fed likes that metric a lot. So that's coming out tomorrow morning. That will be very, very hotly watched. And I will note for our listeners and viewers that uh, a month ago when this piece of data came out, it was the first time in over a year where the Fed funds rate was a higher number than the PCE inflation rate. Hmm. Interesting. Which gives more credence that a potential pause on May 3rd could happen. Yeah. And yeah. if it did happen, I'm going to speculate that would be a positive for, for risk assets like equities. Yes. Yeah, I would think what... What the market wants tomorrow to have a positive reaction is to just see that trend continue. Let's Lower see it, on let's inflation. See it, let's see inflation come down a little bit. It doesn't need to, to drop, but even if it's relatively flat, I think the market will handle that okay. But if it's by, if it were to spike, then you're going to see some some movements in the market. Yep. I'm not going to tell you what I think is going to happen. That's uh, we'll see. I'll um, see. I'll say something. I think it's going to come in lower than month four. Yeah, I think it. I would, if I had to guess, I would say yep. it'll be a couple, you know, tenths of, uh, of a percentage lower. No, nothing crazy, but I think I'll it'll take whatever it'll give lower. me. Yeah, um, which leads us into our tweets, articles, and research this week. And I'm going to start off by there's been a there's been a lot of uh, headlines that I've seen on, on Bloomberg and and some other uh, news sources about hedge funds being short different parts of the market, and I'm. 
I'm sure some listeners have either heard of that or 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 seen something on on their news their uh, their news channel. So this first piece I have is uh, it's an article from Bloomberg on the 24th, and it says hedge funds placed biggest ever short on benchmark treasuries. And there's a chart, and we'll throw the chart up here. And um, I have two research pieces back to back here that are kind of going to debunk a lot of the stuff that you may be seeing, or or, or hopefully give you a little bit more. Uh, clearer understanding on what's going on here. But this chart just shows the leveraged funds net long short positions on the 10-year treasury futures. So it's basically shorting the futures market. So shorting is you're betting that prices are going to go lower. And what this, there's, there's multiple ways you can look at this. Um, and what the article points out is in part this is um, hedge funds, which in the market, think speculators, think fast money, think guys that are moving in and out of positions. They're really not worried a, about where the market's going to be a year from now. They're worried about where the market's going to be a week from now. Right. Your hedge funds, that, that type of investor is going to be associated with a term you'll hear called market neutral. It's, it's guys who are shorting and, and going long at times, and they hedge out their positions. So that's the they're, they're the speculators in the market, mm -hmm. very aggressive investments, and a lot of times that's why you see hedge funds blow up after a year or two. <laughs> um, and when I say blow up, I mean dissipate. Yes. Um, so one of the takeaways from this is that hedge funds may be thinking inflation will be stickier than the market is currently expected. Um, so that's one potential uh, uh, possibility, but the other thing I'll point out is that these markets are really complicated, um, and, and they're kind of dark markets. They're they're difficult to track and truly understand what's going on. That's very important to point out to listeners is that these these swap markets, these shorting on futures, the data is not perfect. You don't have you don't know exactly what. Just this chart doesn't tell me if hedge funds are really that bearish on treasuries because you don't know what else they're doing in their book. It could just be a hedge strategically to, to help them get a, a, a more stable return. So interesting. one of the, the things the article pointed out is that these short positions could be exaggerated by the revival of so-called basis trades, um, which is when hedge funds buy cash treasuries and short the underlying futures. So in essence, they buy the physical treasury security and then short, um, you know, short on paper the on the futures market. Yeah, short the long end. And it's really, it's really like an arbitrage trade sure. where you're not making a lot, you're making a couple basis points. So, so they pointed that out at the very bottom of the article and it made me kind of chuckle because I'm thinking that could definitely have uh, that could definitely be going on. Um, they also say the trade involves buying bonds that have become cheap relative to the underlying futures and then selling the futures to pocket the difference. The profit is usually small, hence the tendency to use leverage. And if you recall at the beginning of this, this chart is leveraged funds are net long sh uh, are net short on the 10 year treasury. Interesting. So, so, you know, the way I kind of relate this, bring it back. If people are thinking we're going to have a sluggish economy in the second half of the year, typically when you have a slowdown, and I'm not inciting that we're going to have a technical recession. Let's just say we have a slowdown in the economic data. In those types of environments, historically, interest rates come down. Mm -hmm. 
interest rates come down from a supply and demand metric, right? You have money flow into safe havens, mm -hmm. lowers their, their yields. Yep. And so I'll be curious to see the second half of this year if inflation continues to come in, providing cover for the Fed to lower interest rates to spur economic growth in the light of a sluggish economy, that once again, and I'll say it again, that's going to be the focus of the market the second half of the year, is no matter with what the Fed does on May 3rd, they raise or they pause, second half of the year is how long do they pause mm -hmm. before they start to lower? Yeah. Yeah. When, when can we start to cycle lower? Yep. Um, that leads me into my, my second piece, which is related to a lot of what we're talking about with, with some of the, the hedge fund headlines. Um, and this, this provides, I think, a very clear picture. Okay. And it's a tweet from also on the 24th from Markets and Mayhem. Uh, note the dates are the same yes. on the 24th yes. with the headlines and, and everything I was mentioning. And, and Markets and Mayhem uh, says the following. Could we stop saying hedge funds are massively short now? Question mark. They're net long, and this is a chart, the source is Goldman Sachs, and we'll throw this chart up as well. Yep. And you can see the trading flows of uh, long, short, and then the net flow. Um, and again, this comes from Goldman Sachs. I could spend a lot of time talking about how they get this data, but um, I won't, so as to not bore listeners, but it's good data. <laughs> Goldman Sachs If you are ever interested, reach out to Nick. He can explain this stuff to you. Yes, uh, Goldman Sachs has, uh, Goldman, this, this is the, the research hub that I'd want to see the data from. I'll put it that way. Yes. They, I, I trust them the most when it comes to hedge fund data. Um, and so you can see here that this black line is what we care about. And that's where you can see that net flow, uh, just meaning that they're more exposed to the long side, the buy side of Which the market. means they make money when stocks go up in value. Exactly. And and going back to what I was saying about these types of investors are doing really complicated, um, often overcomplicated uh, strategies. And so that's what that means. Net. Interesting. Net flow. That's so, an interesting piece of data to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially just combined with, with some of the headlines because um, it, it, it piqued my interest. And so I wanted to clear that up for listeners. Do that's you have great. any other thoughts on that one? No, I think that um, there's still just a lot of pessimism uh, in the markets. And I go back to what I've said in the last couple of podcasts. Um, we've had a lot of sideways chop. Mark was talking about that recently. But mm -hmm. just the overall resiliency in the face of bad news flow is a very telling piece of uh, data to me. Absolutely. And so to say it very now plain for our average listener, you got a lot of bad news coming out. And historically, the market would move lower on that type of news, and you got this kind of sideways movement. That, to me, is very telling. Absolutely. A great example is the, the First Republic that we talked about. Um, yeah, people were really concerned about the uh, stability of the financial system. That would tend to be a worrisome piece mm -hmm. of data, right? Yeah. But it kind of caused kind of this sideways chop in the market. Yeah. It's just interesting. And this latest news with, with First Republic, don't get me wrong, First Republic fell 49%, but the market didn't freak out. Yeah. And the market was relatively stable, yeah. which is great. Interesting. So the next uh, two pieces I have for you guys is, is what we want to talk about, uh, which is corporate earnings. I love corporate earnings season. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, this first one is uh, it's a tweet. Uh, this is actually from the 18th, so a little bit old, but still very good. Good data. It's from uh, Jurian Timmer. He's the director of global macro at Fidelity. Um, 
He says the following, corporate earnings are declining from a year ago, but the same cannot be said, in parentheses, yet for revenues, which continue to stair-step higher, at least in nominal terms, so far, this has been the appearance of a soft landing. And there's a really cool chart, and, and uh, Mr. Timmer loves these really uh, wild and, and complicated charts, but when you, <laughs> when you look at them pretty closely, they are, they're pretty neat. And what I really want to focus on is just the main piece here, which is the, the S&P 500 revenue per share and the trend. And I don't know what you think about this, but I think that looks pretty interesting to me. Um, you know, I, first of all, just to kind of reiterate, the definition of a soft landing is where the Fed is able to raise interest rates at the pace and the amount that they did and not cause a technical recession, yeah. right? Not cause a ton of pain to the economy. Yes, yes. And um, I think that the market, for the most part, has been ignoring the fundamentals for well over a year mm -hmm. because the market has been thinking, there's no way that the Fed can raise interest rates without causing a recession. Boom, let's sell off stocks mm -hmm. because earnings have to get hit hard. Yeah. And guess what's happened? They haven't. They've not been hit. They've, they've come down, as we would expect, but not. Nowhere near where their stock yeah. prices are at. Right, exactly. It's just there's a difference of two worlds there. Yep. Um, so the revenues look good there. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, happens as we kind of go through the earnings season. We're in the peak of it right now, which leads me into my next piece, which is from a tweet on, uh, from yesterday, actually, from Matt, uh, Matthew Miskin. Uh, he's the uh, CFA, uh, he's a co-chief of investment, uh, investment strategist <clears throat> at JH Investments. And he says, S&P 500 earnings season is going well with an 80% beat rate thus you, uh, far. Can you say that again, please? An 80% beat rate thus far for Q1, with just over 30% of companies reporting. Year-over-year -year growth rate, 0.05, excuse me, negative 0.05%. Estimates for 2023 overall is 0.86%. Um, and then there's a table here that we'll, we'll throw up for, for listeners. And this isn't a, a super easy to digest table. I understand that, but I'm going to, uh, uh, push you guys to look at the beat rate in column five and you can see this is the, the beat rate, meaning the street is saying we expect earnings to be at X and the, the earnings comes in at Y above the, the consensus expectations. Very That's interesting. And roughly, what, a third? Is. A third have reported so far, roughly? Roughly, yeah. yeah. Um, and, but also, it, it's important to point out that a lot of big names report earlier in the cycle. Um, mm -hmm. Now, we're going to get into the heat of it over the next couple of weeks. But, um, you know, think about banks, right? Yeah. That's one of the first ones I'd point out. Is yeah. Healthcare and banks are usually the first couple right. sectors. And the, the financials beat rate was 62%, uh, which is interesting. And, and we could dive deep into the estimates on, on the other columns. But um, I'll just let listeners look at that. And, and it's pretty easy to kind of deduce what's going on there. Um, what are your thoughts here? I think that the market is focused on the headlines and is, is, it is not focused on fundamentals right now. 
And um, the market has been this way now for well over a year. And at a certain point, let's say that we have the peak in this interest rate cycle sometime later this year, and let's assume interest rates start to come down, this money's gonna have to find a home to seek a return. Mm -hmm. And guess what's gonna come back into the fold? Fundamentals. Yep. And the fundamentals, the underlying financials of these companies, in my opinion, for the most part, they're not bad. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree, which is which is one of the interesting things we've seen over the past week with with the chop and some of the the tepid, the tepidness, the low volume, some of this. You, know, you can almost sense the market doesn't want to move yet. Um, they want to get through some of these these earnings and earnings. Really see what the Fed does on, on May third. Yeah, we got the inflation number tomorrow. There's just enough to where the market's just kind of digesting. It, I'm okay it, with yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's I'm okay with that. That's healthy. Um, All right, ready for my piece here? I'm ready for it. My first piece is going to be a look at the American consumer, okay? There's a lot of talk right now, Nick, about you know what's going on with the American consumer right now. What, what do they look like financially? So I saw this tweet by uh, Carl Cantania on April 20th, and he was referencing a chart from Apollo Group, which is a big private equity firm. Okay, you're familiar with Apollo. Yep. I'm going to read the quote to you first, and then I'm going to talk about the chart. The quote is, U.S. households are in excellent shape. And I'm reading this verbatim. Household leverage is currently at levels last seen in the early 1980s. If the unemployment rate rises, consumer spending will slow down, but the starting point for U.S. households is very strong, end quote. Now, Jenna's going to put this chart up for our uh, YouTube viewers. The chart will also be available in our show notes and our various social media uh, sites on um, Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, etc. This is a chart that shows U.S. household balance sheets, and it looks at household leverage, the ratio of liabilities to net worth. Okay, the ratio of liabilities to net worth. And what's just very interesting to me is I'm not getting the feeling that households are over levered. Now, you are starting to see the creep of a lot of this, wow, you're seeing all this, this credit card uh, balances go up. Yeah. yeah, you're coming off such a low base during the pandemic, no one was spending money there, paying off their credit cards at that time. Mm -hmm. You give me that chart over a 20 year period, then we'll talk. Right. But it's like, when I look at this, I don't wanna overplay this, but the American consumer, in my opinion, is okay. I'm not gonna sit there and say they're in excellent shape. They're okay. You know, yeah. this, is not, this is not in the category of I'm concerned right now. That's just my two cents. Anything you wanna add? I, I agree. The one, caveat, uh, the one caveat I would have looking at the chart and thinking about the data that's behind it is the increase in housing prices over the past five years will, uh, inflate this, this the safety ratio of of this chart if that makes sense yeah because that's what you're, you're saying is the, the equity worth. that people have seen rise in their homes especially over the last decade right. has raised their net worth right raises the net worth and makes that leverage ratio look better sure however at the same time you could make the argument that that doesn't really matter because they could still sell their house for that price. Yeah. Right? So I, that's, that's kind of where it's like, it's a lot of this, I think could be like, like the past few years, you could have some of that going on. So where I would get concerned with that is if, you know, we add like another 
crazy drop in the housing market. Yep. Right. That's where I think you'd see that pop up, but I, I'm not really expecting that type of action in the housing market personally. Well, I'll throw this out there. Um, a year ago, I think that there was a feeling that there would be more pain than we've seen over the past 12 months in housing. I would yeah, argue that point we have, right We now. were talking about it a lot, and we all, I think the three of us were saying the same thing, where we were like, yeah, we think it'll come down, but we're not expecting a, like a crash. And, and that's exactly, like, oh, just kind of just leveled off. It's, exactly, it's leveled off. It's come down a little bit, but not drastically. So. so my next piece is an interesting tweet by Charlie Bellello on April 18th. This one is gonna get me going, okay? This is a chart that he's posted. It shows S&P 500 index forward total returns following a CNBC markets in turmoil special, okay? So for those of you that are not watching on YouTube, I wish you could have seen uh, Nick's face there a couple seconds ago. What happens, listeners and viewers, is when there is times of market stress, um, financial news networks, they, they, they pounce on the opportunity to you know, hold a special so they can get more um, experts, quote unquote, to come on and to you know, talk about the markets. Very common, mm -hmm. right? But these things tend to occur at points of kind of peak market stress or around the points of peak market stress, mm -hmm. okay? So this chart will go back all the way, and its first data point, Nick, is May 6th of 2010, okay? And the last data point on this is May 5th of 2022, okay? And I want you to look at the bottom of that chart for our listeners, and I want you to tell me what is the average one-year return for the S&P 500 index after one of these specials and how, how many times, what percentage of the time is it positive? So the average one-year return after one of these specials is 40%. 40? 40% as an average one-year return, and there has been a, a perfect 100% positive return ratio. And how many data sets you see here? Just, just ballpark it for me. There's a lot. <laughs> 50? 60? There's a lot. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, yeah. 60, so yeah, I just, 50. I find it interesting. And here's, here's why I want to make this relational to our listeners. Okay. There will continue to be over the coming decades, periods of market stress. The data flow in the news flow at times will be very concerning. And the thoughts will be, oh, it's really different this time. It's going to take a, you know, the markets could go drastically lower. And are those things accurate in the short term? Absolutely. Mm. But the argument that I'm making, Nick, is that for a majority of those listening to this podcast, this money is invested for the long term. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I do not want people changing their plan, thinking they could get out, time to get back in, mm. because... When you look at a normal calendar year, and this is not an exaggeration, you miss 10 of the best days, there's a good chance you could have a negative return that year. Yeah. And I just want to yeah. throw that out there that, you know, when you see these, you know, points of market stress, and I will try to re recall this chart the next time we have a CNBC markets and turmoil special, and I'm not trying to dog CNBC, you know, Bloomberg probably has the same thing. 
Fox Business probably has the same thing. This is not just a CNBC situation. You know, it's just um, we got to realize that looking out farther, extending that time horizon, things probably aren't as bad as it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, everyone thought earnings would have cratered a year ago, and they really yeah, have. That was, that was the call at, at one point. So here's my next piece, okay? This is my last piece. This is a piece from City uh, Research. So City Group Research note regarding the global economy. So this was a tweet by Walter Bloomberg on April 19th. He's a trader I follow on Twitter. Guy's got like 650,000 followers, okay? So this is the tweet. Again, global economy to expand more than expected this year, says Citigroup. Quote, the world's economy is expected to expand 2.4% this year. That's a quarter of 1% more than previously anticipated. As the effects from the banking sector turmoil continue to recede, economists at Citi say in a note, the revision reflects a solid performance in the U.S., their eurozone in China, they say. Still, global growth will be below trend as central banks tighten policy to tame inflation. This is what Citi says. For 2024, the U.S. bank expects the global economy to grow 2.1%, lower than the 2.5% previously anticipated, as both the U.S. and Eurozone economies feel the drag of higher interest rates. While the acute phase of the banking uh, tensions appear to be abating, we continue to see chronic challenges associated with higher interest rates, says Citi. So your initial thoughts when you see a note such as this, very big picture, global economy, a lot of cross currents, but still positive growth. I think it's, uh, my initial response is that it's positive. My, actually that's not, that, well, it, my, my initial response is positive. My first thought was, I wonder what the IMF data says. <laughs> uh, that's my first thought, because wasn't like three, four months ago didn't the IMF come out and like slash global growth down to like the 1% or something. So I wonder where their forecast is, is, is what's going on in the back of my head right now. But um, generally speaking, no, that's, that's great. 2% is good. You know, what also um, made me think of this is when you think of our big, big banks here in the U.S., I'm talking the big, big boys. I'm talking like JP, Bank of America, City mm-hmm. Wells, et cetera. I could argue that City has a disproportional amount of international exposure compared to the others. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. when I see notes from them about the global economy, I perk up a little bit yeah. more, okay? Because of the disproportionate exposure they have right. internationally outside yeah. of the U.S. Right. So I think that it makes me think, in my opinion, all right, they got a little bit of a better read-through mm-hmm. on the global economy and some of the others. Yes, I absolutely agree with that. So it's just interesting because I think if we were to poll people and with sentiment is the way it is, I think people would assume that the global economy is in a little bit worse position than some people who are in the weeds are, are telling us right now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think and we've seen that too recently with consumer confidence numbers ticking a little lower and then the Bofa manager fund manager survey a couple of weeks ago yeah, right? yeah you guys yeah. talked about that on the podcast yeah. i think um yeah still pretty a lot of negativity in that as well so it's interesting um it's a good point about city and having the having the more ex, uh, more exposure to the international audience and for for listeners who are wondering 
why that's important or why, why we can, can think about that. It's why we would trust the data more from a city group relative to a JP Morgan. It's because they have real-time real time, real time data. And it's, it's private, like they have more customers. Yes. They understand their customers better. You, you have to understand your customers, they're your customers. So you have real hard data, like direct access real to Real-time hard data, money flowing, um, money being borrowed, how it's getting invested. Right, and I can speak from an analytics perspective and, and having worked in and with a lot of red tape on, you know, we had private uh, insider information, but you can still take that information and as long as you paint it vague enough, you can still use that information and come up with a number like this. And that's how they do that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why it's so interesting. Absolutely. It's like, um, you know, JP Morgan does a really good job with this because they have a good, I think, uh, diverse uh, exposure to the U.S. in general. They're not yeah, just absolutely. centric on like the Southeast or they have their exposure in the West. Right. And so when you hear comments from Jamie Dimon saying, hey, this is our read through in the American consumer, mm -hmm. you know, it's very similar to what you're kind of mentioning is they're not calling out you know, any specific, you know, individuals are, are right. divulging that private data, but they're making a blanket statement yeah. that, hey, the American consumer, yeah. and I'm just going to give a fictitious example, is a, is a lot better than people think. They're spending money, they have good, good balances, et cetera. Right. Exactly. And they can see that with real-time hard yeah. data. So yeah. it's interesting. Why don't you just, uh, just for people that are, are newer to you, Nick, why don't you just take 30, 60 seconds and tell them what you used to do in your former professional life? Oh, sure. Um, there's a there's a podcast. I think the first podcast we did that on um, where it was quite, quite more in depth. But um, prior to joining Just Both Management, I spent about seven years in, um, in the stock surveillance industry. Uh, it's it's really like peeking behind the curtain of Wall Street. And in a nutshell, what I did was I helped publicly traded companies understand who their shareholders were and whether or not their shareholders were buying and selling the stock. So I was an insider on behalf of publicly traded companies. It was an institutional consulting role. It's sure. data analytics following the markets. Uh, it's consulting, et cetera. So I would talk with the C-suite or the investor relations officers of, of these companies. And um, I worked in real estate and energy were the two teams I was on across those seven years. Um, but that's one of the reasons I have some of the experience with, with thinking about the data analytics. Absolutely. I spent a lot of time doing that and, um, and really saw how money moves. It's a very unique, a very unique position, um, a very unique industry because you get to see how money moves behind a, an individual name. Um, so, you know, Apple or, or pick a name, uh, if you're the, the analyst on that account, you track the data using every type of resource you can get, publicly traded filings, you get a weekly inflow of custodial data, so where those shares are held, and then the company over time has been able to map that with fund disclosures and things of that nature. Sure. Contacts at back office. Talk about data mining at its best. It is data mining. It's data mining and, and analytics, um, and, and then really getting to understand you know, quant money and how quant money moves. and. Uh, if you recall, like tw 2018, you remember December? I hate the that... fourth quarter of 18. I still have nightmares about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jenna, how many times do I quote fourth quarter of 2018 in this podcast? That was a tough quarter. Yeah, so, and, and what I can tell you is it was really interesting uh, 
working in that field at that time because you have your clients calling you and saying, what is going on? Like, what is going on? And I'm looking Nine at the data. Nine months of gains given up in three months. Yeah, and I'm looking at the data and I'm telling them, all your, no, none of your big shareholders are moving. It, to me, this, this looks like some type of weird blown out quant trade. Yes. Which is what it, you know, enough news came out. Yeah, and the, that's the, the data that, yeah. honestly, at that time, like, we couple, are the couple best blew people. up domino yeah. effect. Yeah. yeah. At that time, the stock surveillance people are the best people to answer that question. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what we were all seeing across all, all sectors. sectors where, and you could just tell with the data where it's really like noisy and like, it's just bad data. And, and that's really only driven by, by, by high frequency trading and, and quant shops. So anyway, that's, that's what I did. That was great. So, I just yeah. appreciate just kind of. Just for some of our newer listeners, I thought it was great that you just kind of re-explained that. And yeah, sure. So uh, before we kind of finish up for the week, we're going to skip the financial planning topic of the week since you and I went in the weeds on some research items. Anything you want to leave our listeners with, Nick? Um, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. I, would, I guess the, the one thing I will leave listeners, which you, you hit on it a little bit with the markets in turmoil, is you know take, take a few deep breaths and the market's choppy, but this stuff is normal. And, uh, you know, don't... don't uh, don't shy away from your long-term plan. You have your, a proper your, long-term time horizon on this. Financial, with your financial advisor. So. And, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll have one last piece just to build on that. <laughs> this year definitely feels like one of those years where it's time in the market, not timing. And I just, it feels like we're going to have a half a dozen or so between now and the end of the year days that really make up a majority of mm -hmm. this year's returns. It's just a feeling. It's my years of experience saying this. Um, so this is a market where at times it might get frustrating. You look at the tape or the way the market's traded in April, mm -hmm. frustrating month. Very much, but man, yeah. you could have one or two days and make all that up like that. Yeah. And so I'm just, it just feels like that type of year. Yeah. So just, that's where we'll leave it. So uh, we'll be back next week for another episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to episode 198. And myself, Nick, Jenna, Mark, Aaron, Taylor, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. 
past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved.